Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. How are you? Do I even need to ask that question today of all days? After what has transpired, the excitement, the enthusiasm, after what felt like an eternity, an eternity, we got a deal done that I don't think anybody really had expected Arsenal Football Club to be able to do. And I have to say, having had my doubts and having expressed some concerns over what we were doing this summer, my hat, my cap is well and truly doffed to our head of football, Il Capo de Tutti Capi, the man himself, the gruff voice, but with the negotiation skills of a lion. I don't know if lions negotiate, but you wouldn't argue with one, Raul Sanyehi. Well, what can, what can I say? What can I say? There's humble pie in front of me. I'm eating the humble pie. I just did not think that we, in the state we were in at this moment in time, could pull off something quite as extraordinary as selling Takuma Asano to Partizan Belgrade. Dude, you have knocked it out of the park. There's a pint on me next time you're in Dublin and possibly a bag of chips and a battered sausage as well. That's how highly I rate this piece of transfer business. Of course, I am being just very slightly tongue-in-cheek here. Nicola Pepe, what the fuck? Like, seriously, a week ago, this would have been in the realms of the absurd to think that Arsenal could pull off a signing like this. It really was, and that's why over the last week there's been such a mix of, like, anxiety and excitement. It's like, oh, wow, can we do this? But, well, maybe we can't, or somebody will come in and gazump us, or something will happen to make this deal not go through. But it has, and Nicola Pepe is going to line up next season along with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Alexandra Lacazette. What a front three that could be. Wow, you wouldn't want to be a defender facing those, which is good because we don't yet have any defenders. But let's not, let's not go there today. Let's just enjoy the fact that we've brought in a player who is coveted by football fans, not just in the Premier League in England, but across Europe as well. We have brought in a a player of big potential at the right age, who is definitely going to add so much to this team. And not only that, it's kind of breathed a bit of life back into fans this last week. In fairness, it's not just the fact that we brought in Pepe, but also Ceballos. 
We've done some long-term work when it comes to our defense with William Saliba. The Kieran Tierney thing looks like it might be happening. You know, not everything is about signings, but when you're a team that has real issues and you actually go out and address some of those issues in such a significant way, it just makes you feel like, okay, the direction or the plan that was not clear a couple of weeks ago now looks like now looks like a plan. And he did say he had a plan, Raul. He said we had a, a very good plan and we had to outsmart the market. And those those phrases could potentially have been like the Ivan Gazidis, we could be as big as Bayern Munich, we can do things which excite you. But unlike Ivan Gazidis, Raul Senyehi does not appear to be all mouth and no trousers. Raul Senyehi has got trousers. And we've needed trousers for quite some time at this football club, and I'm glad that we appear to have a man who's got good trousers. Isn't that the most that any of us can ask for? I think so. Apart from a left-back and a central defender. But we might talk about that a bit later on. However, we've got a show for you today. I have got a show for you. A little bit later on, I'm going to be talking to Clive Palmer about Nicola Pepe and the signing and what it means and, and, and how he's feeling and how I'm feeling. I'm sitting here with a, with a gin and feeling really quite good about the day that we've had as Arsenal fans, and hopefully you guys are too. But first... If you're going to talk about Pepe and you're going to talk about some of the uh, French-related issues that are going on at this football club at this moment in time, who better than a man who is a, a journalist, a broadcaster based in France? It's Matt Spiro. Hi, Matt. Hello, Andrew. So I, I noticed on your Twitter feed, you you said that uh, Nicolas Pepe, as a signing, is a game-changer for Arsenal. Was this the kind of signing you thought Arsenal could make this summer before we get into the nuts and bolts of him as a player? No, honestly, uh, I didn't think... For, for a minute, to be honest, that Arsenal could get him. I knew his fee would be something around £80 million. We were all led to believe that, that Arsenal didn't have that kind of money to spend on one player. And we know that Arsenal um, need, need, need quite a few players, need to strengthen in quite a few areas. So I didn't think they could splash that sort of money on one player. Um, over here, we've been getting very excited about Nicola Pepe for um, several months now. He started last season brilliantly and just... Uh, and just carried on and he's been a joy to watch and it's been you know an ongoing sort of saga or, or discussion over here there have been big clubs linked with him there's a sort of a new club every every week or so um so you know i was under the impression that bayern munich were were, were very very keen apparently he 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 wasn't their number one priority in the end but i had a chat with uh, i interviewed christophe galtier the uh, the lille coach um, I think it was in March or, or April time and we talked about Nicola Pepe and he seemed to be dropping very big hints that he saw him at Bayern Munich. He made that comment about, I can see him wearing a red shirt next season, but I don't think <laughs> he was talking about Arsenal. Um, so, And he was comparing him to Arjen Robben and he, he you know, it, that, that, that's what I thought. And then we heard, you know, the Liverpool and, uh, and Inter and lots of big clubs. So no, I'm, I'm, I'm very surprised um, and I do think it could be a, a game changer for Arsenal. I really felt last season, um, of course, there are problems at the back, but I really felt Arsenal lacked um, quality out wide. Um, that Lacazette and Obama Young were having to do far too much uh, on on their own. And I think, um, yeah, I think it's a very exciting signing. What do you think, um, given the fact that he did have other options and maybe Bayern weren't as uh, interested in him as, as was first thought, but, you know, given his profile, given the season he had, you, you know, you, you feel like he could have had 
his choice of clubs with Champions League football, for example. What what do you think might have swung it Arsenal's way? Obviously, the financial side of it is one thing, but from the player's point of view, is it the fact that he looks at Arsenal and sees a team in which he can become a key element? Do you think that's been a yeah. part of what it is? I think so. I think I think there's the Premier League factor. I think he's he's keen to go and play in the in the Premier League, and that probably helped sway him sort of towards Arsenal and away from Napoli, who are who are in the Champions League. But uh, uh, you know, the Premier League is still very much the the big draw over here in in France. Um, you know, if you take Real Madrid and Barcelona out of the equation, they that you know the top players here still really want to go and play for the big five or six clubs in England. Um, I think he's, you know, there's a lot of talk about his agents and Arsenal have obviously done well sweetening the right people to sort of help this deal go (laughs) through. But Nicola Pepe is not somebody, um, you know, as far as I can tell, he's not somebody who will just be dictated to by his agent. He's somebody who has a career plan. I think he's uh, an intelligent uh, person. Uh, Last year, uh, Lille, just to give a little bit of background there in a year ago, they were on the brink of extinction. I mean, they were in massive, massive financial difficulty. Had they been relegated, goodness knows what would have happened to, to the football club. So they were desperate to sell and they still are needing to sell players. Last summer, they had concrete offers for Nicola Pepe of €30 million Euros from Lyon and from Borussia Dortmund. They, I know that the Lyon one was accepted, so I assume the Dortmund one was as well. And Nicola Pepe decided he wasn't ready yet to leave Lille um, having just had a few good months sort of in, in the tail end of the previous season. He wanted to have one really good season at Lille. And uh, it was a surprising choice. And it, it really paid dividends. He felt good with Christophe Gautier. He felt that he wanted to have another season in in that club. So just in that context, I think he's now looking at a move to Arsenal, thinking I'm going to be one of, yeah, one of the main players at Arsenal. I'm going to be a first choice at Arsenal. And I'm going to have the support of Unai Emery. I think that was also important. Um, I think this is very much an Unai Emery choice um, as far as as far as I understand and as far as I can tell. So, you know, I think I, I, I think all of those factors helped Arsenal to, to get this deal done and possibly without wanting to get too carried away. But uh, and again, it's difficult because he's had basically one exceptional season so far in his career. Um, so we'll have to wait and see how he gets on the Premier League. But I think somewhere in his head, he's thinking have one or two good years at Arsenal, and then it will be Real Madrid or Barcelona, possibly. Sure, sure. Um, but of course, you know, of course he has to do that first. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, who, who knows? He might make the kind of impact at Arsenal that will make Arsenal a more attractive club for him to be at in, you know, three or yeah. four seasons. So we have that. Isn't there, There's an interesting connection as well on an administrative level. Uh, Mark Ingla, who is the deputy CEO of Lille, and Raul mm. Sanyehi, uh, who is the head of football at Arsenal, were colleagues for a time at Barcelona when Sanyehi was the yep. uh, director of football there. And Ingla, I think he went, uh, he ran for president uh, of Barcelona in, in 2010. So maybe that connection has helped too. Yeah, it's 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 possible. I mean, they've got um, yeah a very sort of experienced uh, team in it in at Lille. They have had this for the last couple of years. Um, Mark Ingler, who was brought in by by Gerard Lopez, um, who bought the club a couple of years ago, brought in Marcelo Bielsa. Um, things things all went very badly in, initially, but Mark Ingler is still there. He's um, 
uh, like you say, very experienced, very well connected. Disappointed he didn't get that Barcelona presidency. I, I, mm. I spoke to him last season and he's still a little bit bitter about it. But um, <laughs> I, I, I imagine he's close to uh, to, to Raul and um, that, 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 that certainly helps. And, you know, we're going to wait and see how Arsenal's uh, transfer window finishes up. But perhaps, you know, the Raul, the San Lee, uh, strategy and his network is, you know, perhaps this is the first real evidence that uh, for Arsenal is um, is it, it, transforming, is moving forward in a, in a modern way in terms of the way that things are done uh, behind the scenes. Mm, okay, well, let's talk a little bit more about Pepe and what kind of a player he is uh, and his career development. Um, you know, what what sort of progression has he had since uh, since arriving at Lille? Well, I'd say his career so far has been a bit of a slow burner because his talent has always been there, but getting it out of him hasn't been that easy. And uh, he he had loan spells away from Angers. He went to the to the second division to play for Orléans, and uh, you know he's had coaches in the past who have um, sort of struggled at times to to get him to to be totally focused and to take his football totally seriously. And I think that's why he's at at the age of 24, only just had his first big season because, you know, in terms of his ability, he could have been scoring goals regularly in France's top flight earlier. But um, the uh, the move to Lille, he obviously he started doing well at Angers three seasons ago. He got the move uh, to, to Lille. There were quite a few clubs looking at him. Marcelo Bielsa was a big, big fan of, uh, of Nicola Pepe and he made him a, a priority when he, uh, when he signed him two seasons ago. Um, but... It was a it was a disastrous sort of six month spell for Bielsa at Lille. He brought in a lot of players, a lot of very very young players. Um, they got rid of uh, some some experienced old heads, which with hindsight was a was a bad idea because the team looked pretty pretty much lost. And Nicola Pepe was played as a centre forward on his own in the centre forward position. He didn't get any goals. He struggled. He didn't get the best serve. This either. I mean, Lille were, I think, second bottom when uh, Bielsa was eventually sacked in uh, November time. Mm. Um, so you know, it was it, it was a very inauspicious, very difficult start for Nicola Pepe at uh, at Lille. But Christophe Galtier's arrival uh, changed changed all of that. And I think Galtier deserves deserves a lot of credit because he's transformed Lille. They finished second in Ligue 1 last season. Um, they made some good, good, shrewd signings that complemented Nicola Pepe. Um, Pepe. Pepe would move back to the right wing. Um, he struck up an incredible partnership with a couple of uh, young, skillful and pacey players, Jonathan Bamba and Jonathan Ikone. And um, Lille set themselves up to play counter-attacking football that was, uh, that was absolutely deadly. Um, so Nicola Pepe last season just uh, just absolutely exploded and uh, if you take Kylian Mbappe out of the equation he was Nicola Pepe was the best player in France last season and actually a lot of people uh, were, were were voting for him or would have liked him to have been player of the season ahead of Mbappe um, but with 35 goals yeah. and a French title it's difficult not to give him player of the year mm. you talked about taking his football seriously um, mm. you know obviously People and footballers mature at different uh, at different stages in their life. You know what what sort of a character is he on the pitch and off the pitch as well? Do we know much about you know what sort of a guy he is? Look, I think he's <laughs> I think he's a fairly discreet, normal guy. I don't see I I don't see him as a 
a party animal or anybody who, you know, in terms of his lifestyle, I don't think there are any any problems there. I think he's just quite a relaxed personality. I can actually see him getting on very well with Lacazette and Aubameyang, not just because of the French, but just the the, the way they are. They're just quite relaxed people. Um, so... You know, he's not. He, he, I talk about him maybe not taking his football seriously enough when he was younger, or not, not, not focusing enough on on his progression. That, as far as I'm aware, has nothing to do. You know, it, it, there was no misconduct. No, you know, he wasn't late to training sure. and stuff like that. It was just that the, he was just a bit frustrated because the, the, the coaches could see this this fantastic talent and couldn't quite uh, couldn't quite get it get it out of him. But. Um, I, th- I, th- I think it's interesting. I mean, I wouldn't compare Nicola Pepe by any means with Didier Drogba because they're totally different players. But Didier Drogba, his progression arrived at a similar time. He also had to go down in the uh, in the lower divisions, and it was only at the age of sort of twenty four, twenty five that he exploded. First with Gangon, then with uh, then with Marseille, and um, I think you know, in some ways, it's. It's an advantage to be moving abroad for the first time when you're 24 rather than when you're sort of 19 or 20. Um, and what I would say with Pepe is, yes, it's just been one brilliant season, but it, it, you feel like he has this potential to, to kick on. You feel like it's just the start. Now, again, I, you know, I, I want to curb excitement to an extent <laughs> because you never know how, how players will integrate in a, in a new league, a new environment and culture, but... Uh, you know that's obviously what Arsenal have seen—a player who, who has just uh, suddenly um, released his talent last season and is ready now to kick on. We can see with Aubameyang and Lacazette that Arsenal have two very good forwards. And last season, I think the team became quite reliant on them and their goals um, to try and offset some of the defensive problems that the team had. Uh, and we might come to the defence now in, in a few minutes. Um, I suppose one way of offsetting that even further is to place more emphasis on the attacking side of your game. Unai Emery, as a coach in his first season, I think he had some problems. His approach felt quite conservative at times. So when you add Pepe to the mix with Aubameyang and Lacazette, you've got Ozil, Mkhitaryan, uh, Iwobi, Reese Nelson, uh, Martinelli, perhaps if he plays a part. You know, Arsenal have a lot of attacking options. Do you feel that this will in some ways um, allow Emery to, to shake off some of those shackles of conservatism in terms of how he he gets this Arsenal team to play? I think I think it might do. I think the, 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 the issue Emery is going to have is that, I mean, if you look at all Pepe's goals and assists uh, from, from last season, they're all counter-attacks. They're all Pepe come running running from deep, playing one-twos and, and, and going in behind when he's got space. Now, if you're a team playing Arsenal next season, the last thing you are going to want to give them is space in behind the defence. So, yeah. particularly at the Emirates, you can see teams coming and sitting very, very deep. That's that's the concern, if you like, um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of Nicola Pepe and the impact he is going to have. What I would say is that he has also got a very good shot and is not afraid to shoot and he he, he will happily cut in from range and sorry cut in from the from the side and shoot from sort of 20 yards so you know if the team sitting back that could that could be a weapon that the Arsenal can exploit but his real strength is um is transition play and that you know that's why I, I think he's an Unai Emery player so I think that's um, how Unai Emery has always wanted his teams to to hurt the opponents um it's by springing forward 
quickly, directly when when they win possession. Last season, it was it was difficult to to judge really how Unai Emery was getting Arsenal to play because he changed formation so so often and he changed style so often. But mm. I think that the the key for for Arsenal this season is going to be to get the team to play to that strength, whether it's sucking opponents out or whether it's um, making the pressing game more efficient so that um, Arsenal do have more opportunities when they win the ball to play that early pass forward um, to Pepe, Lacazette or Aubameyang. So, uh, you know, that's that's the only thing that I would be concerned about. It's, you know, making sure Arsenal have enough weapons and and craft to break teams down at home when, when... when there are 10, 10 defenders, basically. Yeah, it, it's sort of a dangerous game to play as well to mm. allow the opposition to have lots of the ball when you are defensively suspect as the team has been. Maybe, you know, a different setup in midfield, for example, might allow, uh, as you say, greater pressing or, or, or winning the yeah. ball back more quickly before it gets to the back four who, who have been suspect. Speaking of which... There hasn't yet been a, a defensive signing and there's a, a defensive issue, of course, and we're going to talk about Lauren Koscielny now in a minute, but Arsenal did make a signing last week and that's William Saliba from Saint-Étienne, 18-year-old central defender. He's gone back there for another year, so it's hard to understand you know, why it is when we have these defensive needs we're letting a player go uh, back and play for, her, for his now former club. You're of the opinion that that's good for his development. Can you sort of expand on that a little bit and maybe a, a bit on Saliba, what kind of a player he is uh, and what, what might Arsenal be getting a year from now? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you sign a player of that age who's only played, what, 15, 16 top flight games in France, there is always going to be a degree of uh, of risk I think for for Arsenal he's going to have his first full season as a as a Saint-Étienne player albeit on loan from Arsenal this season and uh, I think it would be a big big step up for William Saliba to go from being what he was last season which was initially a backup central defender and then when Subotic got injured he came in and he was a regular with uh, with with Loic Perrin um, to, to then go to being an Arsenal player and I'm not sure he would have been ready uh, this season to step into the to the heart of the Arsenal defence, it's um, it's a nod to the future. It's obviously a signing that um, that that shows that Arsenal are not just uh, short term team builders at the moment. Um, but uh, in terms of the, the the player that he is, I mean, I've I've commentated matches and um, been incredibly impressed because when you when you watch a game and you 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 know if you watch a game without knowing the ages of the player you form an opinion and then afterwards if you look at the age you know this guy is 18 and he's defending against some very top players and he just fits in he just looks composed um he's he's extremely strong and there is absolutely no question he is a big big defensive talent there's a there's a feeling here that Arsenal have paid a lot of money for him but at the same time there always seems to be that feeling because in France, people find it hard to believe how how the Premier League throw much money to throw that much money at, at at players. That's the market today. Of course, there is uh, there is some risk, but I think um, the breakdown of the deal is important as well. I think Arsenal are play, paying um, only a fraction of that of, of that fee up front this summer. So, I mean, I'm going to be very interested to see how he goes this season, um, his first regular season. Hopefully, he won't fall to pieces and Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, investment will, 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 won't won't look so good. But no, I think I think he's. Um, I think I you know I said that on Twitter as well. I I remember watching Raphael Varane when he was seventeen playing for Lens, and you could see you could see he was special. And it's the same feeling I get when I watch William Saliba. He looks like um, 
you know, he looks like a man when he's playing football already and he's got that composure and that and that maturity. And that, for me, shows that, you know, in three, four, five years, I think he's going to be an, an exceptional player. That's a, a tantalising prospect. Um, what, what's your sense of why it was exactly that he stayed for a year? I mean, would Arsenal have been keen to take him? Was it his idea, do you think, maybe to stay and develop another year? Were, were Saint-Étienne resolute in the fact that, you know, they wanted him the only way they would sell him as if they could keep him? Do you have any idea as to exactly why that went I down? Wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if this is something that Saint-Étienne had been planning for a few months um, because when he burst onto the scene, Saliba, um, in the second half of last season, uh, Saint-Étienne, uh, their youth team, won the uh, won the Youth Cup thanks in part to him. Um, he came into the first team and, it, and it, it suddenly became very obvious that he was special and they managed to get him to sign a long-term deal. I don't know exactly when. I think it was March time. Um, and... I wouldn't be surprised if during those talks there was some sort of agreement that if a big club um, came in for him this summer, he would be allowed to sign for them. Saint-Étienne would obviously get a big fee because he's uh, he's signing a long-term deal. And the issue of him being loaned back, that might well have been, you know, if not a written agreement, that may well have been part of him agreeing to sign to, to, to sign the contract. Um, mm. So, you know, Saint-Étienne are a pretty well-run club. They 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 know how to how to do business and um, they've been they've been very careful. It's a big problem with 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 French clubs. So we've, we've had a, a Monaco youngster just yesterday signing for Manchester United. They they lose too many talents for 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 too 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 little. And uh, you know part of the battle now is to get these kids onto long term contracts. And Saint Etienne did that. You know if Arsenal had negotiated a deal in January before he had signed. They might have been able to get him for for you know a very small fee, but um, yeah. So I yeah I think it's all kind of part of the same negotiation. All right. Um, the defensive issues that we talked about uh, at Arsenal have been exacerbated this summer by the Lauren Koscielny issue, um, and that doesn't seem to be coming to any kind of resolution. Uh, Unai Emery says he would like to keep him, but. You know, that Koscielny wants to leave. And given what's happened, given the way he behaved, given the way the club have reacted, uh, it feels very much like his his position at the club is untenable, that the only possible solution is for him to leave, which, of course, is what he wants. It doesn't suit Arsenal, because I think the plan was to, to keep him for one more year, allow Rob Holding to develop another year, uh, to let him sort of um, cement a place in the side, perhaps alongside Socrates, to ease some of the burden that Koscielny was, was put under uh, last season when, when he had to play a bit more than he would have liked. Um, are you surprised at the way this has gone down. Koscielny has never been the kind of man yeah. or the kind of player who's who's been a problem or difficult. Um, there, there really does appear to have been a, a serious breakdown between himself and and the club. Uh, yeah, really surprised and uh, found it all pretty pretty sad actually. Because, like you say, uh, for nine years he's been a, a terrific servant for for Arsenal. Um, you know, I've seen him. Uh, on and off at, at, at France gatherings or you know after after Arsenal games and he's somebody who is so proud of Arsenal you know of of everything he's done for Arsenal but also he he does have huge gratitude to 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 Arsenal because they obviously made him or made his career what it what it is they showed a lot of faith in him when they signed him from uh, from Lorient so it's a, it's a really sad end because I think it is going to be the end of of, of Koscielny and Arsenal 
Um, and you talk about, yeah, breakdown internally. You talk about the fact that Koscielny, um is set on leaving and Arsenal were, you know, would, would like to have him one more year. I mean, it just makes you think about the, the, the internal communication at, at Arsenal. He's the club captain. You know, this clearly could and should have been sorted out um, internally. And um, I don't think Koscielny is such a difficult guy to, to reason with or to speak to. I understand Arsenal want a fee for him. I understand that a captain should not behave the way that Laurent Koscielny behaved. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a sorry state of affairs, I would say, because it, it tarnishes. I mean, I think the last nine years haven't always been easy for Arsenal. And I think Koscielny has been one of the few kind of constant positives. Yes, he, his form had a few dips. Um, he's had injury problems, but, you know, he's, he, he's played through the pain. And I think he's, he's one of the few guys that Arsenal have had in the last decade who, who I think really represents the values of Arsenal really well and sort of, you know, fights on the pitch, um, gives absolutely everything and loves the football club. And I can understand that fans are, are unhappy. Um, I can understand that Arsenal are taking a hard line, but I just think Arsenal really needed to sort this out, um, like I say, in, internally and that it didn't come to, to this sort of public slightly you know embarrassing situation that he that he refused to go on tour do you have any idea of what exactly the the problem is or the breakdown is because you know Koscielny on his own twitter account for example posted when he signed his contract extension i'm here until 2020 mm-hmm. is it a case that he was given some kind of promise that he could leave this summer um you know what what exactly has happened for this to get to this sorry state of affairs and for it to sort of just explode the way it did uh, out of the blue. Yeah. yeah, I think it's been obviously a really hard um, last year or two for Koscielny, missing the World Cup um, with the injury. He could have been a World Cup winner. I mean, he was on tears on French television, um, even admitting that part of him wanted France to lose the World Cup final, which, you know, provoked a lot of uh, a lot of discussion here. Um, he He worked incredibly hard to come back. He came back, I thought he looked a shell of his former player, you know, the, the, the player he was in the first few games he played, but he actually, you know, managed to get up to speed and get his strength back up to to, to fight for Arsenal. And I think, you know, looking back, I don't have the, the stats, but in the last six months, I, I feel like he played a lot of football. I feel like he was, you know, I don't want to say he was pushed to playing when he shouldn't shouldn't have been playing, but I, I, I think I he think was. He was I th- yeah. I think, I think he was, he was pushed pretty hard. Yeah, I mean, I think there were times when he expected arrest, and because of other circumstances, you know, what wasn't able to be um, wasn't yeah. able to be given that arrest. So I think that did have an effect on his performances. But yeah, like you say, I mean, I think it's um, it's it's a shame the way it's ended. Just finally, before we go, one man um, who made a breakthrough last season arrived from France out of the blue was Matteo Genduzzi. Um, how is he perceived in France and how is um, his talent perceived over there? Because he, he, you know, for a 19 year old, he had a very assured first season in English football. He played probably a lot more than people might have thought. How is how is his reputation um, burgeoning over there? Yeah, for the moment, he's um, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, he's not a household name yet in France. He's one of these players who's who's moved to England before he's actually um, become known to to the French public, apart from uh, people who follow Ligue 2 or, or, or support Lorient. Um, so, you know, he, he, he's made a few headlines. He's done a bit of media over here, um, sort of especially around Christmas time. Um, 
there, I've heard one or two whispers about Didier Deschamps keeping uh, keeping an eye on him. I think he's still quite a long way from uh, from the France senior team. Um, he obviously played for the for the under twenty ones at the Euros in the uh, in the summer. So, you know, I think I, I think Genduzi surprised a lot of people he surprised me last season a that he played as much as he did and b that um that he was so effective and uh, and influential particularly in the first half of the season i think perhaps he was overplayed slightly in terms of um you know his age and his experience it might have been good for mm. him to have a bit of a um you know break at times uh, from 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 the first team action but uh, no his 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 reputation is uh is very solid. It's true that when he left France, there was talk about attitude issues because he fell out with Mikel Londro, the uh, the uh, the Lorient coach. But nobody, nobody's too worried about that. People have been pretty impressed with uh, with the way he's gone at Arsenal. And um, yeah, if he, if it, if he keeps going, if he can have a strong season, then he he could be knocking on uh, on Didier Deschamps' door. I think the, the 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 Euros next summer will probably come too early for him. But um, yeah, like 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 you said, nineteen years of age last season, he was. He was very impressive, and uh, I think he can only he can only get better from here on in. All right. Well, let's hope so. And uh, the French contingent uh, or French uh, related contingent at Arsenal uh, continues to grow. Hopefully, we've got another generation that can bring us some success. Matt, as ever, thank you very much indeed. Uh, we'll we'll chat to you soon. Cheers, Andrew. Thanks. Thank you very much indeed to Matt. You can find him on Twitter at Matt Spiro, at Matt Spiro. He's also the presenter of the official League uh, podcast, which you can find wherever you get podcasts and might be a good way to keep up with what's happening uh, with Saint-Étienne next season, for example, where all eyes, of course, will be on William Saliba. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Right, with me now to get excited about the signing of Nicola Pepe, uh, what he might bring to this team and what his signing means to a club which, you know, has found itself in a Europa League funk for the last three seasons. And it's something that lies ahead next season, of course, as well. Pepe feels like a signing that's designed to get us out of that. I'm delighted to welcome back to the podcast a man who you will hear regularly on the Arsenal Vision podcast. It's my old friend, Clive Palmer. Hi, Clive. Hello, hello. Am I allowed to say that? How are you? Yeah, I'm 
fine. I'm, I'm, when I say old friend, I don't mean you're old. I mean, you know, we go back a long way. So that's all. We do. We you do. were quite accurate though on the first time round. <laughs> <laughs> so look, how, uh, let me just dive straight into it. How do you feel about the fact that Arsenal have broken the transfer record to bring in Nicola Pepe from Lille? Uh, you know, I know we all know the stuff about how we're not paying it all in one go, etc., etc. But how how do you feel this evening now that it's finally been confirmed? Well, firstly, most transfers are not paid in one go. Yeah. Right? So we seem to get a lot of transparency now about the payment plans. It feels like we're running some sort of Littlewoods catalogue, for God's sake. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But everyone does this. Right? Everyone, no, one, no one's got that amount of cash down the back of the sofa. Right, so, but suddenly when Arsenal are doing it, it's like it's big news, right? So, <laughs> it looks like Lille have been quite, um, quite nice about the payments. But how, how do we know? We don't know how other players have been paid for historically. So, mm. what are we judging this on? You know, so, um, so I like it. What, what I like about it, man, you know, what, what's really excited me is. You know, me, me and you and many others listening, we're, we're, we're obsessives, right, aren't we? We're, we're obsessives about the club. Yeah. We think we can envisage the roadmap that they're on. And we try to immerse ourselves in all the details. And then something like this happens. And I think, okay, this is good. And if they, if they follow it up with something in defense, I'm going to start to think for a moment, hold on, this is something new. Do I actually know where we're going? Do I know this club or like I think I do? Because now all the changes are starting to potentially lead to something, mm. right? So if we buy him and then sell two centre-halves and, and expect Zach Medley to hold the defence together, then I say, well, that's the club I know. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but if we if we do follow it up with some strategic defensive signings, yeah. then I think there's, a, there's another big podcast around the corner, isn't there? There is. There? I, I mean, are you surprised? Because I kind of am as well in the sense that you talk about the club that we know, and, and we've got to know Arsenal. All of us have gotten to know Arsenal quite intimately over the last number of years. And, you know, that's because of just the general state of play, the media. We have, you know, the, the podcasts that I do, the podcasts that you do, the many other Arsenal podcasts that are out there, the amount of yep. coverage and the amount of information that we have about a football club is so um so much more than it was uh you know when when we met uh in whatever it was 1999 to watch <laughs> arsenal get beaten 4-2 by barcelona so some things uh, don't change what, what great day it was great a great days. day it was a great day but <laughs> what i mean is that like we, you know we we've watched this club operate over the last number of years and we've got like we've had a good idea of what they do and how they do it and this you know maybe for the first time since the Ozil signing is so far removed from all of that that we have to sort of step back and think, okay, maybe we have to reassess what's happening here. I totally agree with you. I think um, you know the changes that happened end of last season didn't quite happen because then we had a bit of infighting and, and certain people left the club and we didn't really see what we hoped to see. Now the people have had, you know, won the power struggle, shall we say, we assume, and now they're in position and now they're driving strategy. And we thought it might happen in January. And if it did happen in January, who knows what, you know, what European competition we'd be playing in right now. But it didn't happen in January, but it's happening now. And I find the both the short-term view and the medium-term view and even potentially with the Saliba signing, a longer-term view, mm. 
are all happening within one window. And we're, we're quick to criticize, which we all do and we're entitled to. Um, but this is good. And it's not just about the signing and the, the price. What it tells me is that Arsenal is open for business again. If people are choosing to come here of that level of quality, that means they're, they're being sold something they believe in. Mm. Rather than signings to cover gaps, right? To yeah. react to crowd noise or react to injury or just react to things that are happening around the club. I feel as though, you know, there's something that is being planned. There's a level of quality, but there's also a level of youth. If you look at the... The, the ages of some of the players that got a lot of experience last year, the ones we've in their second season, the ones that we're buying, they are young. And there's a younger new team with a new dynamic developing right beneath our eyes. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see what it looked like at the end of this season. And then that could be the team that we could really, really be proud of by next summer. Yeah, I mean, look, I've heard you talk about this on the, the Arsenal Vision podcast, but Arsenal as a destination, Arsenal as a place where players want to be. I don't know if you've had a chance yet to have a look at the... There's a video on the Arsenal player on the the official website, and it's Nicola Pepe, and I'm guessing his agent or a family member, and they come in and they do the the rounds of the, the training ground. He does some tests. They, you know, take blood, all that kind of stuff. He does the media stuff. But there's a moment in it where he gets to see his Arsenal shirt for the first time and it's boxed and he takes it out of the box and he's just like, he's like, he's so into the idea that his name and his number is on the back of an Arsenal shirt. Like I found something really warming and encouraging about that because we we maybe sometimes need to step back and think about what Arsenal is to people from the outside. We're so on the inside that we think, well, you know, the, 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 the biggest problem we have at this direct moment in time is a reflection of the club as a whole. And that's not the case, yeah. obviously, you know, and he's so enthusiastic about this and it's so heartwarming in a way. And it, it says something about the pull of the club still, which I wasn't necessarily convinced was still there. And I think for me, that's a really important part of his signing. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, um, and even with a Saliba one as well, a young player that could have had his choice of clubs, but he's chosen Arsenal. And, and as a fan, you like to feel as though the club you support is not a shambles, because that's what you know. I felt that <laughs> previously. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and you know as well as I do, Andrew. Our our perception within the marketplace has not been smart. We've been we've been ridiculed basically by agents. You know, we, we're just not open for business. We're just not in play, and um, and that's been you know been manifesting some of the players that we've bought and some of the wastage and the contract situation. But now we look like we're back. We're back, mm. and we're we're, we're we've tur- shall we say we turned a corner. Hopefully, we've turned a corner yeah. by how we operate. Right. And that's been really interesting. I know there was a debate around Sven going and the way that he looks at signings and Raul is somebody that really looks at relationships and agents. A lot of the agents that we are dealing with now, we were never dealing historically. But it's not just for buying players you have agents. 
We need to sell players. We're not. We wasn't great at buying or selling. These agents can help you move players out of your club, and I think that's also really key to balancing the books. And what it says is, again, I keep going back to we are a destination. And my phrase is, I want us to be the employer of choice. Right? That was always yeah. my phrase. I want us to be that club where people say, I want to be there because it looks like there's something going on there. And you know, I always look at football careers as like dog years. They're very, very finite. You need to spend the peak of your careers in the right place. And people were not choosing us. They were choosing other destinations, right? So now that's turning, and I'm, you know, I, for one, is very excited. Yeah, so l- 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 before we talk about Pepe, the player, and we can talk about a couple of the other players who are, you know, hopefully going to make a an impact next season, um, Raul Senyehi. We had that thing with Sven, and obviously there was a, a little bit of a power struggle, and Raul has come out on top. And he was very keen the other day to point out that whatever happened this summer, it was nothing to do with Edu, who's been appointed as our technical director, because he's only arrived with such a short space in the window left. You know, yeah. it, 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 it's not on Edu, whatever happens this summer. And he has kind of made sure that everyone is aware that this summer is on him. Yeah. Right? And two weeks ago, I was far from convinced that that, that was that was a, a good sensible thing, thing to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, another person um, might have deflected all over the place, but he kind of made it clear from the very start that whatever was going to happen this summer was going to be him. And he's he's pulled some rabbits out of the hat in the last couple of weeks. I mean, maybe. I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but maybe we've got the kind of football executive, the head of football, that you need to have in this modern football era. That's somebody who who can accept that there are data-driven ways to identify players, but ultimately, football's a kind of a dirty business, isn't it? It, it is. Yep. It's dirty, and you need somebody who can lay down with those dogs and get those fleas. Football is a it's a people business, right? In the end, like anything, it's, it's who you know and how you know them and how you build relationships. This guy's been at a top sports firm. He's been at Barcelona. So he knows a few people. Everybody who has a job out there, we, we work for the sign over the door. We generally work for the people within the company. If the people are rubbish, you leave the company. It's as simple as that. Mm. So it's not just the name of where you work. It's the people within it. If they're poor quality, you go if you have the choice to go. And you go and work somewhere else where there are better people around you where you can learn and develop. Exactly the same for football. If there are people owning your career, making sure you're there supporting you with good quality players, making sure the project is moving forward, making sure that we're in the right competitions, guess what? You'll stay. You'll tell your mates to come. You'll, and you'll create an atmosphere that's really, really positive. So I'm a big believer in, in how you engage and how you build relationships is the key for everything in football. And and data underpins those people relationships. But in the end, you need to talk to somebody. You need to have something for them to listen to. You need to make them believe in something. So if you don't have the right people with the right framework, with the right quality, then it will not happen. Mm. So look... Nicola Pepe, 
a week ago would have been to me uh, an amazing signing, but one that I thought was completely and utterly out of our wheelhouse. Me too. Yeah, I, I, and I think that probably goes for most of the people that are listening to this podcast. Um, I mean, how excited are you for what he can bring to this team? I mean, we, we've spoken about it, about you know how Arsenal need a wide player, how Arsenal need somebody who can... Uh, who can dribble, who can drive at defences. You know, if you were picking somebody from any of the top leagues in Europe, I know there was a lot of focus on Zaha. Um, but Pepe is, it, like, it feels almost unreal that we've got this guy when, you know, mm. we're a Europa League club at the moment. And obviously he's a signing designed to, to get us out of that, to get us back into the Champions League. But he could have gone to a Champions League club this summer. Yeah. Um He's chosen us, and, you know, how excited are you about what it will mean for the way we play football next season? See, what I really like about him is, obviously, he's quick, but what I like is he runs through people, he runs through lines, but when teams drop off against a player like him, he can dribble up and dribble past you, and I think that's really important. I think we've lacked ball carriers. And you heard him talk about, we heard Henry talk about protagonists, and but we didn't really have any. We have a team of passers and people that run off the ball. And so we were forced into passing patterns of play, overlapping fullbacks. But when that's been taken, when that's taken away from us, then we have to put the ball in the box, like what Chelsea did to us. They low block in the final. And we have to put the ball into areas where we weren't, we weren't great. But if you've got dribblers in your team, then what happens is you pull people out of their shape because they can't just sit there and wait because you'll take the ball up to them and you'll create danger near the goal. So now we have a players that can do both. They can pass, they can set the play, they can shoot from outside the area, they can dribble. And the more of those players that we have, the better. So if you just look at Ceballos, you look at um, Torreira, you look at Guendouzi, you look at Pepe, just those four signings alone, there's a youthful dynamic to them. Mm. They really do take people. They want to go and get people, go and get the ball. And if you add in, say, a Joe Willock, for example, just a similar style, dynamic, go and get the game, drive the game, challenge people. And they're the sort of favourite teams and players that I like. I like people that can solve problems on the pitch. If the passing is taken away, then what you got? Mm. Are you going to take somebody? Are you going to drive somebody? Can you win it and create a transition? Or do you think, well, the passing lanes are gone and there's nothing left for me to do? And I felt we had a few players like that in the recent history. And it's, when the day suits them, great. But when there's some, a problem to solve, I think we struggled. Mm. Can, can we just touch maybe a little bit on what the impact of Pepe signing will have, not just for fans, but for some of the players? Yeah. As well, because, you know, there's, uh, you know, players aren't, well, okay, some of them are stupid, but some of them are not, right? And some of mm -hmm. them can see, you know, a team that has problems and a team or they're in a, at a club which doesn't really have a serious desire to address some of its fundamental issues. And I think with this particular signing, we're seeing Arsenal address a fundamental issue now we you know i don't necessarily want to talk about our defense tonight because i think we should we should try and keep this uplifting everybody knows we've got some issues back there and hopefully between now and next week you know those will be solved 
But when you're a player in a team and you see your club go out and, and smash its transfer record for not the first time, not the second time, but the third time in two years, that's got to give you some kind of belief in where the club is going as well. And that can be translated into performances and, and just general attitude. Because, you know, if you're at a club and you feel like it's going nowhere, you know, it can be difficult to motivate yourself as, you know, I know it's your job, you're a professional footballer, you got to do your best, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, if there's something that's coming in to like provide this excitement and something new to the team, you can only respond to that. Yeah, exactly. When when good players come into a dressing room, the other players say, right, you know, he's not going to get my shirt. You know, it's as simple as that. They yeah. welcome it, but they don't welcome it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, they, and they start running around. Right? They start they start doing things properly. So that's great for, for us. So this wasn't a player and we all loved the player, but if you looked at our team from you know a thousand foot up, you wouldn't think that Arsenal were desperate for this player. But it does say a lot about what we want to do and, and where we want to play on the pitch and what we're gonna bring, right, to other teams. Mm. But I will say, you know, we're Arsenal fans and we've and we've grown up being a, an attacking team that hasn't really invested very much in defenders over many, many years. And I know you didn't want to talk about this, but I can't help it, man. Okay, let's go, <laughs> let's go for it. it. Let's go for it. Come on. Well, the, the thing is, I think even as fans, you know, I ask us, I ask us, how invested are we really in, in, in having a defensive shape? Because when you see all the, the selections of teams, we don't see many defensive midfielders in there, really. You know, and I, I was having a debate online about a player that I watched last year for Atletico Madrid, Thomas Partey, right? Mm-hmm. Very good player, very strong centre mid player. And I will say, we shouldn't have a player like that, Arsenal. And they say, oh, no, we don't want to do that. He's too defensive. I'm thinking, well, we can't keep hanging centre-halves out to dry. We have to think about the structure in front of them. We have to maybe take a little bit of flair out sure. and say, we need to have the other side because we're not going to get where we want to get until we really take that more seriously so even as fans we are romantics we've got the team with um, Sabias and Gwenduzi and Ozil in front and then the two wingers and the centre forward it looks great <laughs> <laughs> it looks great no one I can't see a Fernandinho out there I can't, I can't see that player out there and we need to do that I can't see a Rodri out there you know, I, yeah. I can't see I can't see a Fabinho out there. I can't see that player. And, and we do need to think about that as well, as well as the centre-backs. It's not just get rid of Mustafi, replace Koscielny, and everything will be fixed. We might have to make an investment that takes away some of the things that we all, we all love. So, I mean, look, you know, you're saying basically if you could swap Xhaka out for a Fernandinho-type player, you'd be quite happy to do that. I mean, I think I would too. You know, uh, I, I wonder if it's all possible in, in, in one transfer window, though. Um, yeah. You know, and, and look, I'm not blind to our defensive problems. I think we've done some really interesting stuff in this transfer window. Saliba is a nod to the future. Uh, Ceballos, I think, fills a gap that we had to fill this season. Um, and we've done it in a, a really interesting, cost-effective way by getting yeah. a player in on loan who's got a lot to prove. You know, uh, he, he might want to make it at Real Madrid or he might want to make it somewhere else. Either way, the onus is on him to perform. And I'm not blind to the fact that we need sort of a defensive midfielder. I do wonder, though, if this season with the um, with the arrival of Pepe, it sort of solidifies um, a formation 
this season because we're mm. going to play with a back four more often than not. I think, and quite regularly, I think we're going to play with a back four in order to get a front three, which maybe we don't have if we're playing a you know a, a, a back three. So you know, somebody like Torreira, for example, could grow into the kind of player who could who can anchor the midfield. And I hope he gets that chance. Yeah, I can hear Elliot going yes when he said back four <laughs> right then. Right, so and I personally think the back three is not dead. And it's not dead because it's not because of what we it just comes to our centre half situation. Sure. We haven't got great ones. And so he he picks the formation, not because he likes it, he's just protecting people. He's trying to protect people in fullback areas and he's trying to protect centre halves that struggle in the two. Like Monreal, for example, who he can't play in the two, but might need to play at centre half. So then he flips formation. We know his preferred formation is the four two three one. And as you're absolutely right, Angie, with Pepe there, we're more likely to see it. But obviously we'd be happier if we had a slightly better quality centre-half to allow us to play four mm-hmm. more often and potentially another left-back to allow us to play four more often. These are obvious solutions. And it's going to be interesting next week to see what where we end up and how close we do to get to solving them. Well, what do you think is going to happen at, at centre-half? Because if reports are to believe, uh, be believed... Uh, we're in talks with a number of clubs about um, Mustafi's departure. The Koscielny situation, I think, is is more and more troubling from uh, from the point of view that I, I I don't think we wanted to let him go or want to let him go. I think we 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 were counting on his experience and we were counting on his quality this season, and maybe the upgrade they were looking for is. You know, let's let's move Mustafi on because it hasn't worked out, and let's get someone else in. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a Van Dyke or someone of that quality because you know if that player's out there, every club in Europe will be after him. And I don't think we could do uh, with that player what we did with Pepe, for example. So, yeah. is it a case of just sort of slightly increasing the competence of the options we have? In our back four, it's not going to be for me anyway. I don't think it's going to be a transformative central defensive signing, but it might be somebody who could make us just a bit better, and maybe just a bit better could save us five or ten goals this season if we have an increased focus on the way we attack. We're you know we're more possession based. We play more of the game in the opposition half. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be that like Superman at the back. Just sort yeah. of slightly, quite almost nearly Superman. It's funny, the only, the only centre half I've seen us linked with is that Daniel Regani um, at Juventus. Mm. So, of course, I YouTube him, so now I'm an expert, right? So, here goes my, <laughs> here goes my analysis. Right? So, um, and I looked at him, and he's very much a, a calm reader of the game. So, every single clip I saw was like him. Stealing the ball, a bit like Andrew, you did when you played. Like, so, yes, of course, thank like, you, A bit like Per Mertzacker, to be honest, the way he reads the game, because yeah. he's, he's average speed, not slow, but he rec- he recognises that his brain is his trick. right? So I thought that's quite an interesting one, if that's true, because distribution is good. But if you're saying one thing we need back there is a little bit of serenity, I feel we dash around smashing into people, Mm. just creating drama and I looked at it I thought okay you're not my pick 
You know, I, I like a, you know, I like a Upamecano, for example. I like that type of player, a, a tall player, strong, a sure. lefty. We're looking for a lefty centre half, so that's what I would like, right? But I looked at Regan and I thought maybe this team at this time needs some serenity, some calmness, some quality. He may lack a bit of physicality, but I do think I'm not against that. And if it's a loan signing, it suits where we're going financially. It does cover a gap. Koscielny is a major player for us. He's going. Mustafi potentially going, although he had a decent game in the week. Um, but we all know something's around the corner, so we've got to let it go. We've got to let it go. He's not going to get better. right? Yeah. So, um, so that type of player would be nice to see. But um, the players I would really like are Nupamankana, a left centre-half to play with Saliba in the future. Rob Holding is there, can play both sides. Then you get into a level of quality now that we need to have at the back line. And so the things we lack is maybe a bit of speed to allow us to play a higher game, to compress the game a bit more, which makes things easier for Torreira, for example. Yeah. Small space player, compress, really dynamic, real good sprinter, but don't give him massive space to cover because it's not his game. So the two are interlinked, right? So so that's the only one I've seen. I don't know if you've seen anything else, but that's the only one I've seen. And he doesn't look bad. But I have got his little nag, though, Andrew, that if Juventus are getting rid of him first from out the door after the lit has walked in, then is there a problem with him? This, I didn't see on the YouTube highlights. Yeah, I'm well, not so sure. Yeah, look, my YouTube highlight reel is fucking amazing, I have to tell you. But, uh, <laughs> look, th- there might well be. Look, it's very difficult to base an opinion on a player um, on YouTube highlights. You, I think you see the best qualities of him, and I think yeah. you could probably make, you know, uh, a good Mustafi YouTube reel if you wanted to. A guy who, who wins the ball high up the pitch, who can score some goals, who's, you know, not bad on the ball um, when he's Lots not spraying Lots of great slide tackles. Yeah, lots of great sliding tackles, you know, and you think, okay, well, there's a really dynamic central defender, but that's, you know, uh, we we all know the other side of that. Um, It is going to be very interesting to see what they do, because I I don't think as a club we can go through a window without changing something defensively. Look, it it looks like Kieran Tierney is going to happen, so they've got a left back. So what we've got when Hector Bellerin returns is we've got two quicksilver fullbacks who can play football, who can get into the final third, who can deliver, who aren't, for example, like, you know, Kalasinac, who is just this sort of overlapping machine and he he bangs in crosses and, and some of them work and some of them don't. So it looks like, you know, there's been some strategy when it comes to uh, the fullback situations. Um, we haven't gone out and bought a right back, you know, yeah. So it's clear that they're just waiting for Bellerin. We'll use Maitland-Niles. We might use Carl Jenkinson if we have to. And on the other side, they're going to get Tierney in. And this is clearly part of, of the plan. Where the central defensive issue uh, you know, comes into focus is the market and who's out there. And there's a lot of clubs looking for central defenders. And when the market is telling you that Harry Maguire is worth eighty million pounds, you know you can understand why it's difficult for for clubs to to find the right player. I mean, it feels to me maybe um, like uh, Rugani from from Juventus. It might well be a loan signing. It might be the player that I heard about today. It was um, that's got a release clause. It's the guy at Burnley, James Tarkovsky. Oh yeah. And and I looked at. I think I heard him say he's got a fifteen million pound release clause. I'm thinking, is that real? Is that true? Uh, he's a decent player. He does play in a team that obviously drops deep a lot of the time, so they do a lot of blocks. But he's a player that potentially 
could be available, right? So that's the sort of player we should be pushing for. He hasn't signed his latest contract. There are there are options out there. And unlike mm. you, I, I think I don't think we need anything special. We just need some stability and serenity back there. And at the moment, we're stretching out Socrates, and when he's stretched out, he gets carded. Yeah. Right? It's, as, it's as simple as that, and we've already seen it in preseason. Right? So, yeah. so we need to calm him down. We can't have another attack dog back there. We need something else. It's a bit of presence and assuredness, and and, and composure. And I think that could allow Socrates to be who he wants to be. And um, and until we get the younger players, because holding, I know we're all looking at him, but it's going to be Christmas by the time he hits real form. He'll no doubt use the Europa League as his um, training ground. Yeah. But then when we get to Christmas, we potentially get the player back again to where he was last Christmas. So um, and the same for Bellerin. You know, yeah. Got to, we got to give him time. You know. So that rotation we made at now is going to be very important, and he's a very important player that he stays injury free. And so, yeah, I think we just got to prepare. We're preparing that defence, and it may be into next year that we start to see a team with a couple of fullbacks potentially. If we get Tierney, that could you know challenge Liverpool fullbacks on quality and, and assist making. And we got players in wide areas they can combine with are of the highest quality. So the potential is there ahead. And uh, like I said, I think. The real team is just around the corner. Yeah, but this defensive signing is, is very important. Yeah. Okay. Well, look. We'll, let's we'll keep fingers crossed that that happens. So I, I just want to talk to you finally about midfield because there are there are real options in there. Um, we've got numbers. There's no question about numbers because we've got Jacques mm-hmm. Ganduzi, we got Torreira, El Neni, we got Ceballos in on loan from from Real Madrid. And as I said earlier, I think he he really does have something to prove. But we've also got a really interesting young player in Joe Willock, who, mm-hmm. when when the name started to circulate, you know, this this generation of young talent. So we had Smith Rowe, we had Nelson, we had Enketia. Uh, he was sort of like the last name that was out there, and I kind of feel like he could be the first one to really establish himself. I watched him really closely in the game against Bayern Munich in LA and I know it's only preseason and you know all the rest but what what else is there for a young player to do to catch the the eye of a manager than to make an impact in preseason if you're given a chance against a team like Bayern Munich and he was so good he was so good against Bayern Munich, and I think he was really good in the game against Fiorentina. You know, he was good against Real Madrid. I know he didn't play um, as long as people might have wanted. Yep. There's a talent there, isn't there, that has emerged, and sometimes it is the player that you don't necessarily think is, is going to be the one uh, to make the grade. There's something about Joe Willock. I know there's a film. There's something about Mary, and hopefully we don't have any hair-related issues uh, with Joe Willock like in that movie. Um, <laughs> this has gone down a, a, the wrong path. The, you know, he, 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 I'm kind of intrigued by him and really encouraged by him at the same time. Totally get it. I mean, when he first got introduced, I, I wasn't I wasn't too happy for most of you because I wanted to see Maitland Niles in midfield. Mm. There was a young player called Ben Sheaf. I thought, well, he deserves a chance ahead of him. There was Marcus 
and he ended up going to uh, Barcelona, wasn't it? Um, Marcus McGrain, yeah, he, yeah. I thought, yeah, I thought, well, he deserves a chance ahead of him. Why, why they're not playing this guy? They got this skinny little kid. Why are they playing him? I wasn't, I wasn't too sure to be honest. But he, he came in, did he did fine. But then, and then obviously, end of last year, he really did explode. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. Europa League final, that's a great performance. I went to the Emirates Cup on Sunday, and when I when I turned up, I looked out on the pitch, and I just saw this giant out there. Yeah, he just. I thought, Who, who's that? I literally thought, who is it? I looked. At, I, had to, I had to look at the program and think, and then he started to play. And it was a, at the moment in the first half, going towards the clock, and he took a shot. The balls rebounded out to the corner flag. I swear, God, he sprinted out there a million miles an hour, and he got there first. I thought, oh my God, broken play. He's going to be amazing. He drives the he drives the play on or off the ball. He can run with it, but he can do off the ball running. He arrives in the box at speed, and that's going to be critical in the era of VAR. How you arrive in the box is going to be really important. Yes, and this is, and this is something that Abamyang, Pepe, Willock, they sprint, they attack the box. And they, they're going to create collisions. And this is going to be the new trick this year. You watch how you arrive into the box, how you sprint into the box, how you provoke collisions. Because things that happen in football, but things that slow down on camera look completely different. I mean, Harry Kane got the golden boot out of it in the World Cup, right? He's perfect at doing this. And I'm creating moments in the box that make referees make decisions. I think Willis is a he's going to do a fantastic job at doing that. We have to manage him. We've blown careers in the past, Andrew. We've overplayed yeah. youngsters. We've literally, we've literally done it to them. Overplayed them. Played them injured. Even to the point where they've picked up injured because of the amount of minutes they've played. We've got to be very careful we don't do that with this kid, um, because I think he's got a real chance to be a first team Arsenal player. Very shortly, it wouldn't surprise me if he started at Newcastle, but he's definitely in the sixteen. Right, so I think yeah. been the 16 a lot this year. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what kind of impact he can make. So, just very, very finally, are you are you feeling better now than you did a couple of weeks ago? I know I am. I really am. Yeah, I feel better, but I'm also pleased that everyone feels better. Yes, because I, that's the important thing. Right, we're all in this together, and um, I tend to defend the club because I have to when I'm talking to Elliot and Co. Right, so um, <laughs> and so I did find myself defending, but there are some things you can't defend, and some of the some of our club behaviours have not been great over the last couple of years. True, that's what's really, really made me happy that we seem to be operating at the level of club that we are again. And that's really exciting. I'm just hopeful that as the club keeps building the trust with the fan base, because it's a much nicer place when everyone is smiling as it was on Sunday at the Emirates. We lost a game, everyone was cool, because they could see that was coming around the corner. And I think that sort of feeling is what I'm looking forward to when I go to the games this season. All right. Well, let's hope we get plenty to smile about between now and May 2020. 2020. Where the fuck does the time go? Anyway, (laughs) it's been a pleasure as always, Clive. Thank you very much indeed. Um, And we'll catch up with you again during the season, I'm sure. Anytime, mate. Thanks a lot.
Thank you very much indeed to Clive. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Clive P-A-F-C, Clive P-A-F-C. And, of course, part of the Arsenal Vision podcast crew, uh, along with uh, Elliot and Paul and Tim Stillman, of course, you know from this parish, and Scott, of course, who does the by-the-numbers pieces for Ars Blog News. A really good podcast. Um, so if you're looking for more Arsenal stuff to listen to this season, why not give that a bash? Right. I don't know what else to do now, apart from call time on this particular show. I do hope you've enjoyed it. It's been an enjoyable week. We've made some strides towards the new season, which give us encouragement and hope. And, you know, hopefully between now and next week, when we're going to be previewing the new season, we might have done a few more deals too. Kieran Tierney apparently, apparently is very, very close to signing. So that could be a thing. And we could bring in a central defender as well. We've got a couple of issues to sort out there uh, with uh, Lauren Koscielny, Shkodran Mustafi as well. But who knows what the makeup of our squad will be by this time next week. And we'll be getting ready to face Newcastle in the first game of a brand new Premier League season, about which I am now really excited. Uh, you know, it's funny how moods change in a, a short period of time. So once again, thank you, Raoul. Thank you. James and I will be here on Monday. We'll be recording an Arscast Extra for you, as we always do. For now, I'll leave you just to bask in the warm glow of Nicola Pepe and all that that entails. Thank you, as ever, for listening, for reading, for supporting everything that we do here on Arsblog. Uh, we do our best for you, and hopefully, hopefully you dig what we put out there. Have a great weekend. We've got Barcelona on Sunday. That should be interesting as well. I'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Told you we had a very good plan. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.